Good morning. My name is Nick Swan. I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. And we are concluding our multi-year series on the book of Genesis. And in particular, we're concluding this final portion of the book of Genesis with the life of Joseph. Uh, The title of our message this morning is the story of Joseph, Joseph's bones, Joseph's bones. Let me pray for us. Father, by your spirit... Help us to see your goodness and trust in your control of every moment, every detail of our lives. May this give us hope this morning as we look forward to a day when Christ will return and when we will spend eternity with him. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Throughout human history, various religions have downplayed the goodness or the value of our physical bodies. Some religions have so emphasized the spiritual component of our beings that they spend their life in the hopes of escaping from their physical bodies, believing that the bodies are somehow defiled or limiting, things to be escaped in order to experience the freedom of the spiritual realm. And this belief was often reflected in how they handled the bodies of their dead. Many non-Christian religions, for instance, have chosen to burn the bodies of the dead, thus symbolically freeing the spirits of those who have deceased from their bodies so that they are now free to enjoy the spiritual realm. The Judeo-Christian tradition, on the other hand, has sought when possible to honor the sacredness of the body by burying it or entombing the remains of a person. And not only did this tradition point to the sacredness of the body, it also pointed forward to the hope of the resurrection. When our bodies will be reunited with our spirits as we are designed to be, both our body and spirit as one, resurrected in Christ. Put another way, the practice of Christian burial, it is informed by our belief that this life is not the end. That we... What we recite in the Apostles' Creed is reflected in how we treat our bodies, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This morning's passage, it makes reference to two burials, Jacob's burial and Joseph's future burial after the Exodus. Both men requested that their remains, their bones, be taken and entombed in the promised land in Canaan. And in so doing, Jacob and Joseph expressed their faith in God's promises and in the life to come. And both of these events, they take place in the context of Jacob's unshakable trust in the goodness of God in the midst of the trials of his daily life and ultimately entrusting himself to God in the life to come. Main point this morning is this, because God is good and he has a plan for our lives, we can trust God in our present circumstances and and live in the hope of the future resurrection. Because God is good and has a plan for our lives, we can trust God in our present circumstances and live in the hope of our future resurrection. Point number one is this, Joseph's unshakable trust in God, Joseph's unshakable trust in God. So I'm taking our passage a little bit out of order. So we had the long passage at the beginning with Jacob's burial, and then we have Joseph's uh, bones being entombed at the, or put in a coffin at the end. And in the middle, we have this story yet again of Joseph's interaction with his brothers. 
And the reason that I'm doing that is because I believe what we learn about Joseph and what he believes about God in the center helps to inform the sandwich that we have of these two burials on either side of this story that we're about to look at. So what we see here is we see in Joseph's final response to his brothers a demonstration of his unshakable trust in God's goodness. And this explains why Joseph chose to treat his bones in the manner in which he did. How he lived and how he died, it was informed by the faith that he had in God and in God's promises. You see, Genesis is a book built around promises and our faith, our response in faith to those promises. Faith that one day God will fulfill his promises to Abraham to make his descendants into a great nation. To give Abraham this land, this promised land of Canaan that he will bless Abraham and that he will bless the nations through the nation of Israel. These are the promises of God. And then they were handed down from Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to Joseph. And this faith was grounded in their belief in God's goodness and in his providence. Now throughout this series we've been talking about this word providence quite a bit. I think it defines so much of how we understand the book of Genesis. And I'm defining providence as God's good and wise plan for our lives. And trusting in God's providence means living lives that reflect our belief that God is in control of all things and that he is both willing and able to fulfill all of the promises that he makes to us. And ultimately, that what God is doing is for our good and also for his glory. And it's Joseph's belief in God's good and wise plan that allowed him to trust in God through slavery and imprisonment and abandonment. It's Joseph's belief in God's good and wise plan that allowed him to reframe all of his suffering and extend forgiveness to his brothers who had caused this suffering, which is what we again see in this passage In verse 15, the brothers, yet again, they doubt the sincerity of Joseph's forgiveness. And then Jacob dies, and so they have this fear. Joseph was probably being nice to us as long as dad was alive, but now that dad is dead, he's going to seek vengeance upon us. And so once again, they send word to Joseph asking forgiveness one more time for what they've done. And Joseph responds with tears. Tears because I think he's just saddened that you guys truly don't believe I have forgiven you. And yet he once again forgives them and puts their fears to rest. Look with me at verses 19, verse 19 in chapter 50. That's what Joseph says to them. But Joseph says to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So earlier in Genesis, we saw Joseph testing the conviction and confession of his brothers. And that was one of the means through which he was able to be reconciled to them. But in this passage, we see another aspect of how it is that Joseph can forgive his brothers who have treated him so poorly. First, he affirms that God and God alone is the judge. Verse 19, do not fear for am I in the place of God? Believing this allowed Joseph to entrust his brothers to God. Rather than taking justice into his own hands, rather than growing bitter, rather than seeking to change or manipulate his brothers to make them into the people that he thought they ought to be, Joseph was able to entrust them to God. 
I am not your judge. God is your judge. I'm going to entrust your life to him. I'm not going to take vengeance. I'm not going to grow bitter. I'm going to forgive you and trust that God is big enough to work in your heart. Imagine how freeing this would be in our relationships with one another. Imagine a world free from bitterness and revenge. Imagine a world where forgiveness was extended freely despite the imperfection of the person asking it, or even the imperfection of the manner in which they ask it. Imagine a world where we are more fully able to entrust to God those whom we love. We don't have to fix our children. We can entrust them to God. We don't have to fix our parents. We can entrust them to God. We don't have to fix our friends or our family members. We can entrust them to God. Ultimately, we can entrust that God is fully capable of working in one another's hearts in such a way that we can step out of the way and allow God to work. If you think about this, so often our conflicts and our bitterness, it's because it's you and me and God's behind me and I've got a problem with you. And until you fix that problem with me, you don't have access to God. But what God is actually saying or what Joseph is doing is he's saying, I'm going to step out of the way. You've sinned against me, yes, but more importantly, you've sinned against God. And so I'm going to allow you to have a conversation with God. And I trust that God is big enough that he's going to take care of whatever he needs to do in your heart. Therefore, Joseph could be free to forgive because he entrusted ultimate judgment and goodness to God. Second, Joseph affirms his trust in the providence of God. Joseph believes in his heart of hearts that God has a good and wise plan for each of their lives, such that even the sinful actions of wicked men are incapable of thwarting God's purposes. Joseph says to his brothers in verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Think about that. You intended it for evil, but God, who is a redeeming God, intended it and is using it for good. God is good. God is in control. God is at work. Therefore, Joseph could entrust himself to God in the midst of suffering. He can forgive his brothers who sinned against him and brought about that suffering. He can even bless his brothers. Speak kindly to them and promise, I'm not only going to take care of you, I'm going to take care of your little ones and your families from this day forward. Each of us know the pain of suffering brought about by living in this fallen world. There's not a person in here who does not know that pain. There's not a person in here who does not know what it feels like to be sinned against, to have someone wrong you, to have an injustice done against you. And yet Joseph had peace in the midst of suffering because of his belief in God's providence. That God providentially orchestrates every circumstance of our lives. Even the sinful actions of those who have sinned against us. And therefore we can entrust ourselves to God. That ultimately he will bring about all circumstances for our good and for his glory. Because Joseph had this unshakable trust in God's goodness, he was able to entrust To God, all of the people in his life, all of the circumstances of his life, and live as a man at peace with God, at peace with his circumstances, and at peace with those around him. But Joseph's trust in God's goodness, it wasn't limited simply to this life and the circumstances of this life. It extended to the life to come, which is why Joseph, like his father Jacob before him, gave specific instructions regarding where his bones were to be entombed. This is point number two, Jacob and Joseph's 
bones, Jacob and Joseph's bones. So in our passage this morning, we have these two funeral services. The first one is the funeral service for Jacob. There are a couple of key things I want you to note about this funeral. First, it was a huge affair. It was a big deal. The period of mourning was 70 days. Pharaoh got 72 days. Jacob got 70 days. This was a huge deal. It was a state funeral. It was an honor. Jacob and his family through Joseph, they were heroes. Joseph had saved the entire nation. They were loved. They were beloved. They were heroes. And therefore, this honor was accorded to Joseph's father, Jacob. And then the grandeur of this funeral, it fulfills or it shows this fulfillment of the promises that God has made to Abraham. That through the people of Israel, all the nations will be blessed and that we, they will be blessed through those nations. And this is what we see. The entire nation of Egypt, all the most important people are honoring this tiny group of 70 to 120 people. Honoring them with this massive state funeral. God's people are being honored and blessed as they are a blessing to the nations. Second, and this is, might feel a bit more obscure, but it's going to become very important. Is the route that Jacob's family took when they went to Canaan in order to bury him. So let me see if I can draw this here. Mediterranean Ocean, you got that. You got Egypt below here, Nile Delta. Over here you have Israel. They could have just walked straight from Egypt, long walk, but straight from Egypt right to the burial, which is south of Jerusalem. But instead what they did is they swung out east and they went north, east of the Dead Sea, north of the Dead Sea, over the Jordan River, down past Jerusalem, ultimately down to Hebron. And the reason why this is important is that this is the exact track that 400 years from this point, the Israelites are going to walk in the Exodus. So Moses, who is the author of Genesis, has already made this journey. He knows exactly this route. And he's making clear that Jacob is going on an Exodus journey. In a sense, he is the first fruits of the nation of Israel that 400 years later will make this same journey. Jacob is making this journey, his exodus. He's the first fruits of this people that are going to be delivered out of Egypt and brought into the promised land. And 400 years later, we're going to see the exact same trip for the people of Israel. All right, so that's Jacob's funeral. Second funeral is Joseph's funeral. Joseph's burial also points to the exodus. Joseph speaks these final words before he dies. Look with me in 50, beginning in verse 24. And Joseph said this to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. By faith, Joseph was trusting a promise that God had made to Abraham several couple hundred years earlier. And this was the promise that God had made to Abraham. He said, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Joseph knew this story, and by faith, this is what he was believing. He was believing that the words that God had promised to Abraham were actually going to come true. And by faith, this is what he told them to do. I want you to take my bones, and it says coffin, so don't think big coffin. 
It's an ark. It's a box that could have loops on it that they could then carry, which is exactly what they did 400 years later. He wanted to be put in a temporary box so that his body would be ready when God fulfilled his promises, not 10 years later, 40 years later, but 400 years later. By faith, Joseph believed this, and his body was eventually carried with the people of Israel, that exact same route of Jacob, traveling where his father had traveled, taken into the promised land, and put to rest with all the rest of the people of God. This is what Joseph was doing. By faith, he believed these things, and therefore he gave these instructions regarding his bones. Now, both of these stories lead us to ask, why in the world are these guys so fascinated with their bones, and how are we supposed to actually do something with this? Are you wondering, where is he going to apply this? Anybody wondering this? Okay, it's not about cremation, it's not about funerals, it's not about being in the ground. we got another place to go. Why were their bones so important? So important that he would have them hold on to them for 400 years in order to transport them. Commentator Ian Duguid explains it this way. In antiquity, the decision to be buried in a particular place meant that you were permanently committing your body to a particular piece of ground and therefore to the care of the God associated with it. In other words... Jacob and Joseph, their hopes for the life to come, they were tied to the God of the land in which they were going to be buried. Not that being buried in in Canaan was somehow this miraculous thing that would save everyone buried there. It was a faith in the promises of the God who are the gods of that land. We believe that this is the land that God has given us. We want to be buried here because we want our life, our afterlife, our future life to be tied to the God of this land. Therefore, bury my bones in Canaan. This is why they wanted to be buried there. It was attached to God's promises. They wanted to be attached to the promises of God, that he was their God and he would be among them in this land. So what does this have to do with us? The main relevance to us is tied to our faith in God's promises that teach us that death is not the end. Death is not the end. And that one day Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. And when he does, he will renew all creation, including us. And we will one day dwell with him body and soul forever. Jacob and Joseph expressed their faith by giving instructions regarding their bones and where they were to be buried. We express our faith by believing, like Jacob and Joseph, that life is not the end. This life is not the end. That our good and wise God who is providentially in control of all things, has promised that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. You see, our confidence in God's promises, it's informed by yet another exodus. We had Jacob's exodus, Joseph's exodus, the exodus exodus, and ultimately we have Jesus' exodus. See, Jesus' life, it's ultimately a fulfillment of the people of Israel. His exodus is the true exodus. See if you can follow me here. Matthew 2, overlooked story. Joseph and Mary, they take Jesus and they have to flee from Herod. Where do they go? They go to Egypt. Once Herod is dead and Jesus is no longer in, Jesus is no longer in danger, what do they do? They return from Egypt to Jesus of Nazareth. They return to Nazareth. And Matthew connects this saying, Out of Israel I have called my son. Jesus is recapitulating. He's doing again the story of Israel. After his baptism, he goes into the wilderness for how long? 40 days, 40 nights. He's again 
recapitulating the whole story of Israel. And yet, unlike Israel, he succeeded in temptation. They wandered for 40 years, the entire first generation dying. Jesus says, I am the manna from heaven, spiritually. But physically, they had literal manna from heaven in the Old Testament. The Israelites wandering in the wilderness. He says, I'm going to give you the spirit living waters. And God in the wilderness provided water from a rock. Again, a recapitulation of the story. In Luke 9, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah and Moses and God the Father. And they say he's preparing for his departure or his exodus. In other words, his eyes are now turning towards Jerusalem. Where he's going to become the Passover lamb. Where he substitutes himself as a sacrifice for his people. And just like the people walked through the Red Sea, he's going to go into the Red Sea of the tomb, buried in death, three days later to pass out the other side in resurrection life. It is Jesus' exodus that gives us confidence. Jacob had that confidence. Joseph had that confidence. We now have that confidence that what God promises to do, he will surely do. Our confidence as we face death is that Jesus is the true Israel where Jacob and Joseph and David and every other forefather failed. Jesus did not fail. He alone is our exodus. He is our deliverer. He has passed through death and come out the other side in resurrection life such that when we face death, we can entrust that this life is not the end. That Jesus has passed through death has come out in life, therefore united with him, we too will have everlasting life. Just like us, Jacob and Joseph, they lived by faith, faith in the life to come. And when they gave instructions regarding their bones, think about the faith that was required. When Jacob gave instructions, the only piece of the promised land they owned was the one piece of land where he was buried. That was it. It took faith to believe that God was going to fulfill those promises. It took faith for Joseph to believe, indeed, 400 years later, God will actually take my bones and bury them in the promised land. By faith, they lived believing in God's promises. And Hebrews talks about the faith of Joseph in this way. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Hebrews then goes on to highlight the kind of people who believe God in this way, saying this. These all died in faith. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We, like Jacob and Joseph before us, we greet these promises from afar. Friends, heaven sometimes feels as real as a field in Canaan or the promise of being delivered somewhere in 400 years. It can feel far away. We greet these promises of eternal life from afar. We too are strangers and exiles on the earth. We're making a journey through this life to our eternal home. When we live by faith, when we live for eternity, we make clear to ourselves and to a watching world that we are not made for this world and that we desire a better country, a heavenly one. By faith, we face death with hope, trusting that our God has prepared a city for us. 
As we wait for that day, we trust that our God is good, that God is at work, that God's promises will never fail. We trust in his mysterious providence. We don't understand how he is working all the hard circumstances of our life for our good. We can't always see that. But we trust in the mystery of his providence that he is good, that he is for our good, and that he is bringing about these things for our glory. We cannot rewrite our own story, but we can trust that God has written our story for us, and it is a story of redemption. Friends, we are actors in a play that is much, much bigger than us and whose full scope we cannot even imagine. It's a story that stretches from Genesis 1, the creation, to Revelation 21 and 22 when Christ returns. Yet even though we are small actors in this play, do not be mistaken. Our God who has made you, he is intimately involved in your life and he knows you. Yes, your story is small compared to the big story, but it's a story that matters to God and it is one that God is writing. It's our knowledge of God's goodness and of his faithfulness and of his intimate involvement in our lives. It comforts us in the midst of the suffering of this life. And it, re- it brings about faith in our hearts that if we hold fast to him, one day he will return and make all things new. May we be a people who have the faith of Jacob and Joseph. Faith in Christ, faith in the life to come. Let me pray for us. Father, you so often use some of the most obscure stories in the Bible to point to your glory. And this morning we were talking about bones of all things and where they are to be buried. And I pray, Father, that your spirit, through the preaching of your word, did open our eyes to see that how we think about death reveals how we live our lives and who we believe that you are. And I pray that this morning we would believe that you are a God who fulfills promises that you are not a God simply of the dead, but most importantly of the living. And that we can have hope to face all of the trials of this life and even the trials of death because you're a good and redeeming God who promises to be on the other side with eternal resurrection life. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.